0: It's Thursday. Your questions are the rundown. This is why I like the show so much, Nate. BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Thursday here on the podcast, we answer your questions. So I'm not coming up with the, the interesting topics, the little nuggets. I don't have to do any of that. I just let you take care of it. And then uh, we dive deep on the things you want to hear. It, it's it's like a group project. Yep. You guys handle that part, and then I, we'll take it the rest of the way. I love it
1: it uh, fans are also m- more fun to talk to than yeah. like what you and I right there. I mean, their imaginations run much more wild and fulfilling <laughs> than ours can. Right. We're boring. Yeah. They're not. So yes. let's,
0: Dig into it. I'm ready for it. We have a question later in the show today that I, I'm i glad you phrased it that way. Because it is imaginative. It has to deal with James Franklin and Joe Paterno. So it's coming up on the show later okay. to, uh, later in the show. Uh, I am excited to hear your thoughts about that particular topic. And I, I, by the way, uh, it should be, for most people who aren't rage monsters, non-inflammatory. I thought it was a fun question. So... Uh, <laughs> I'm excited to get there. But always to start to start the show Nate, I want to hear what you're thinking about. I want to hear what's in your mailbag that you want to submit to the show. What have you been writing about over at bluewhiteillustrate.com? Oh what are you thinking about this week?
1: Yeah, it's uh it's summer, right? So um a a a more gentle southern way of life, I would say. Um but no, I it's it's funny. I, I obviously I'm a golf fan, so the US Open is this weekend. I am paying attention to that and uh, what I have found is, and this is a yearly thing at this point, but if you look at the guests that the Golf Channel has um, that are featured, right, like leading into these tournaments, specifically the U.S. Open, uh, and then do a Google search with the of the name with the words Penn State right after, unanimously, you're going to hit, right? Like somebody at these tournaments is. Always involved from Penn State just based on Penn State's turf grass management program. So yesterday, one of the things that I saw was that uh one of the 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 um female uh she she drives lawnmowers, right? Like she she mows the fairways. Yeah. Um and she's from a turf grass company in Colorado. They interviewed her as part of the the lead-in to this tournament. So Google the name. Yeah, she's a Penn State person. Uh, has a has a Penn State turf grass degree. I just I just thought that was uh, very amusing, but also uh, possible fodder for Friday. I don't know. Stay tuned. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if I can turn something out of that uh, to link it to Penn State and the the, uh, the U.S. Open. So yeah, that and what I think you were expecting me to say. No,
0: but you you also basketball. have a uh, you're you're going to be in a uh, uh, golf tournament this weekend for charity, right? Did you already mention that?
1: Um, I I don't know if I meant it doesn't matter. I mean, I was I, I did coaches versus cancer last weekend. Yeah. It, it may seem like too many golf tournaments,
0: but I, I can assure you it's not um, for for those that are unaware. For those that don't live in State College, this is how the summer works. Everyone golfs for charity in the summer. So Nate is doing nothing but being a part of the group that's raising money for great causes <laughs> yeah. while also going out and golfing for three days straight. <laughs>
1: I'm not gonna argue with it, you know. Yeah. Um, so no, tomorrow's the Youth Services Bureau uh, golf tournament. So looking forward to, yeah. to helping out with that. Great cause, and um, yeah, great cause, right? So, uh, so that's going on. And then, last but not least, Penn State basketball is in the midst of its kind of summer stuff, right? Like things are things are starting to happen again with Penn State basketball. So uh, last weekend, the Returning veterans, including uh, the two grad transfers, Cam Winter and Andrew Funk, arrived to campus. They're working out this week. This weekend, the five freshmen, true freshmen come into the program. So they get here this weekend um, and they will start team workouts, right? They get eight weeks between uh, of, of the summer, basically, to have, uh, I'm going to call them informal workouts, but it's part of like. The, the summer access rules and things that have gradually loosened from the NCAA, which allow coaching staffs to, you know, get some hands on time basically with your players during the yeah. off season. So, so that's all happening and uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see where things stand and, and what there is to look forward to with this Penn state men's basketball program moving forward.
0: Yeah. So we haven't really talked about them recently uh, over the last couple of mailbag shows, but there has been some movement on the roster. How have you assessed the last two weeks as far as the news and events that have happened?
1: Yeah, so I mean, so Giovanni Scott—that's like kind of the news, right—is yeah. officially Giovanni Scott is uh, is no longer with the program, and they brought in a grad transfer, and it's very unique, right? The uh, like kid's name is, and he's not a kid. He's an adult. His name is Mikey Hen. This is his seventh year of college basketball. So between <laughs> what? I know. Right? Yeah. Uh the <laughs> the unique combination, the unique combination of a medical redshirt he missed a year with injury mm-hmm. and the COVID bonus season. Yep. Uh have just kind of created this rare opportunity for him to continue to play basketball. Um, and as opposed to Seeking out Europe and kind of what Europe, you know, its professional basketball leagues have to offer, he kind of landed at seeing what might happen in the transfer portal. He got some bites. Penn State was one of them, and he ended up uh, landing with Penn State. Uh, I think two weeks ago now was when he made that commitment. So,
0: so, so he's the class so yeah, of 2016. They, the, the roster is filled. That would make him the class of 2016 or 2015. Yeah, sixteen.
1: I believe sixteen. Yep. I believe 16. So <laughs> they desperately, they desperately needed a forward. Like that's the thing right. is they desperately needed a big body. He is six foot eight, right? Six mm-hmm. foot nine ish, 230 pounds. And so uh that kind of adds to the roster for, for Penn state in terms of having a big body that with John Harris absence, they, they just didn't have. Right. So, um, so yeah, no, the, ro- the roster's filled. There's no more movement to come. This is the team as it stands and what it will be this season, and they actually get to start to to create that right. Like this yeah. is how te- the team that you see in the fall is all about what happens right now, and what happens right now is like figuring it out, right? What when you've got uh, eight, it's eight newcomers to the program, yeah. <laughs> right? So like eight of thirteen scholarships are going to be filled by. People who were not in the program last year. Yeah. So, what was the gotta, turnover gotta last figure year? Figure out what that balance is and go from there. What was the um, turnover last year? Uh, was it f- off the top of my head, I'm not sure. It was. Okay. It was a bunch.
0: Yeah. I want to bu- say, say it was five? like in the five. That's the number I was thinking it was five as well. So in the last two years, there's been significant turnover, and this always happens, right? In with new with a new coach there's always yeah. a lot of turnover and sometimes the the rare exception is when there isn't but this is pretty i think standard par for the course when you're bringing in your your guys or guys that fit your system or guys that are wanting to leave because of a certain situation or like last year they had a lot of seniors you know these this transition yep. period is pretty common i'd say
1: yeah it's it's Look, they didn't have a recruiting class last year. There was there were Mm -hmm. no class of 2021 seniors that came in to the program, so they had to fill it through the transfer portal, which they did. Um, But also, and this kind of goes understated, I think, at some points, but they had to re-recruit every player that was on the team. Right. So every right exists. Seth Lundy needed to be re-recruited. To stay at Penn State, all of those got just the way that the transfer portal works now with this immediate eligibility. There's no, there's no other side of the knife, so to speak. Right, like there's no, there's no downside to exploring what else is out there, and so in a lot of ways, this season and the players that are going to be on the floor this season are wins and a testament to what Mike Shrewsbury and his staff were able to do in those early months of the process, mm-hmm. keeping right. Like keeping John Harris, Seth Lundy, miles Dredd, um, Sam Sessoms last year, right? Like all yeah. uh, Dalian Johnson, all of those guys that, that returned uh, are, are, yeah, they showed last year, but this year it, it's, it's kind of even more important because those players have a year now under their belts uh with Micah Shrewsbury and can, can be more comfortable. I mean, it's what we're talking about this at every phase, right? Because yeah. in football, we're having the same conversation about Mike Yersich and Sean Clifford. Yep. Bottom line. Right. Is like the more time that you get, the more reps you get, the, the quicker things become, the more secondhand they become and instinctual, that that helps. It, yeah. They expect that to be able to pay dividends and that's what's going to happen this year.
0: Uh, so I know the last thing before we get to the mailbag, I know that uh, one of the things you've been working on this week, a little behind-the-scenes action, is stuff for our football preview coming out later this summer. So can you just give a tease? Did I not mention that? <laughs> just a little tease of yes. uh, of what, what's yeah. to come in the summer football preview magazine for Blue White Illustrated. And also, because I'm always ignorant of facts, and you're a reporter, when does it hit the stands? When can uh, Penn State fans expect it?
1: I believe July 15th, don't quote me on that, but July 14th or July 15th is when our preseason magazine will come out. And look, like reality here, there's going to be plenty of this content that goes into the magazine that also appears in one form or another on the website. So, we're not going to withhold anything from you, right? For that $1 sign up, you can get all of the the insights and access to uh, the wide array of people that we've spoken to this summer. So for me, this past week, I was able to interview all three coordinators. So Manny Diaz, Mike Yersich, and Stacy Collins. And then uh, on Wednesday, I was able to sit down and have an interview with both Sean Clifford and his brother, Liam, uh, that went really, really well. So um, lots, of, lots of interesting stuff out there. I, I mean, I will say, <laughs> I will say, the interviews with Manny Diaz and Mike Yersage, uh, I mean, these guys are just all business. Yeah. right? Like uh, you, you will not, you will not meet, you will not meet humans on Earth who are more focused, more intent, more like love of football. I mean, yeah. T Frank, like they, these are your people. These oh yeah, are your guys. Yeah.
0: Uh, they just live
1: re- it, breathe it, eat it.
0: I relate yesterday Zoe came home and one of her co-workers is a high school football coach and he was like teaching her football stuff at, at work and and I think part of me was very jealous that somebody else was teaching my wife football when that's my job uh, but like she came home she's like so I want to practice tackling and I was like great I've been waiting for this my whole life so like we didn't actually tackle each other but like and I started teaching her concepts in the living room so yeah I, I I I get, oh, I get what they're talking about here. Uh, how, but how did it go in general as far as what you got from them with uh, with uh, respect to some of the conversations you had?
1: Yeah, I mean, I look, I don't think that it's, I don't think that it's wildly different, right? Like Mike Yurcich didn't say, hey, Sean Clifford's ready to be an all big 10 quarterback, right? Like he didn't, and he right. didn't go the opposite. It, but it's just this, it's just this, continuation of everything that you've kind of seen this off season, or at least that I've seen, which is since January, there has been a, an element of, I believe the staff being humbled, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, certainly Manny Diaz, uh, has nothing to be humbled over. He's new to the program, but Mike Yurcich and how that, how his first season in the program worked out, um, yeah, like Mike, Mike Yurcich is a confident guy. And so the things that didn't work, the the actual production that happened for Penn State football last season, yeah, it it led to this period of I would say January, February, March of of you know
0: self reflection. Yeah, like we to work harder, staring at for windows for sure.
1: For sure, we're, Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, watching the rainfall. Um, no. So so there was that, but then uh, kind of a a, a corner turned. Of, yeah, this happened, wasn't to what we expected it or wanted it to be, but mm-hmm. improvements made in the running game, right? Things yep. that they were determined to do. They feel like they did this spring. Sean Clifford, and this is something that that overlapped between both interviews with Sean Clifford and Mike Yursich is Yursich is saying that Sean is, um. Smarter is not the word, but close to it, just smarter. Like he, right. he gets it. He, he understands what he's looking at faster. The, the diagnosis process is just much more quick. And Sean affirmed that, right? Like mm-hmm. Sean came back and said, hey, like it, it just makes this world of difference to not have to worry about whether you're right or not. Because you yeah. know that you are, and so when you can, when you can, uh, you know, step to the line of scrimmage and stare out at that defense, and it happens like this: that you yeah. know what they're doing, or you yeah. know what they're prepared to stop, um, what gaps are going to be filled. Right when yeah. when all of that is instinctive, it it does two things, right? It it helps Sean Clifford in his actual performance, yeah. but it also loosens the load, it lightens the load for Mike Yursich to be able to to not have to think in the back of his head, oh, is Sean going to be able to handle this? Right, is, and I have, I have to find the perfect play.
0: I have to find the perfect play. I've got to do the the work at the front because my quarterback, I need to put him in, in the right situation. And I, I would I would turn it on his head a little bit. It's about knowing exactly what you're doing to take that mental load off your plate to focus on the defense because if you're wondering, okay, is this an in route or is this, you know, is he going to react with the right option My receiver, is he going to react with the right option on that route? Everyone's in the same system for another year. The quarterback knows that stuff. It is ingrained in his brain now. So now he can focus on, okay, what are they doing now? Instead of having to balance both of those things in his mind, um, and and that is the benefit of the second year in the system, then obviously the question becomes, when those roadblocks are removed, how fast does the car go? and that's gonna be yep. the question we find out uh in the fall so let's get to the yep. mailbag so if you want to be a part of the show blue White sign up for just one dollar be on the message board yep. wednesday night or thursday morning before we record the show uh, submit your question on the BWA mailbag thread or at Thomas Frank Carr on Twitter. We'll get select tweets that I think are interesting and worthwhile uh, to add to the show. All are worthwhile, but, like, what do we have time for? So, Nate, let's start with everyone's favorite topic. Let's start with NIL. Tigar asks, Crystal yes. ball for us where you see NIL, or rather, pay for play going forward in the Big Ten. Ohio State's going to pony up. Which are the other surprise programs that may possibly keep up?
1: Hmm. I mean, are we answering that first or are we going to get to the, sec- the yeah, second? We'll get to that second part
0: of the, fact. yeah, we'll get, we'll get to the second part later. Okay. Yeah. So
1: I think Michigan state is one to watch. I that, think yep. that look, here's the thing to me. Uh, who who did the, the images, everything whose tagline was that? I don't know. It doesn't matter, but There's a truth to it. Mm -hmm. And so when Mel Tucker is out on the field in recruiting images, right. That are tweeted out to the world, standing in front of a Bentley with his recruits, right. Or standing in front of this like exotic Lamborghini, whatever the car is, uh, that creates an image for Michigan state of flash. Right. And, and so I think that that look like there's going to be different routes to what programs want to become. Yeah. Bottom line. Right. Uh, and, and this has always been the case, but Miami a few years and it, it always feels like we pick on Miami, but Miami didn't apologize for the turnover chain. Right. Like right. they leaned into that. They said, Hey, we're going to have fun. Right. I, I, You look at your other schools, you you do, you know, your due diligence in the recruiting process and you figure out where you wanna go to school. But if you're coming to Miami, uh, we're gonna have fun and, and we're gonna make this a thing and it's gonna be gaudy and we don't care. People like it or not, doesn't matter, right? I don't anticipate seeing James Franklin and recruits to Penn State football on the turf at Beaver Stadium with brand new sports cars yeah one because i don't think that's what james franklin wants to project as an image but yeah. two and maybe more important the grounds crew at beaver stadium would never allow <laughs> a car to be driven onto the turf we just we started uh, the beaver show stadium. with turf grass
0: so, management so you're right and by the way it would not be a sports car nah. around here i wouldn't imagine i think it would be a truck just regionally truck that feels more sure. accurate uh yeah, yeah. I, I think you got so, a, you got a good one there in Michigan State. I can't I can't think of another one. I guess Maryland. I you know maybe Maryland is one where you could say they might have yep. some push with NIL. Yep, Rutgers. No, I think. I, uh, yeah, uh-huh. I mean, I haven't I haven't
1: seen that yet. Uh, I yeah. haven't seen Rutgers yet. I, look, I, I do think that there is a, a even when people point to Ohio State, right? The things that Ryan Day said about needing $13 million, Mm -hmm. that was to a group of boosters, okay? And so it's going to sound foreign here, but the very concept of having to verbalize this to the donors says that they're not quite up to speed either Yeah, to me. Yep, because I agree that conversation is not that conversation is not happening at Texas A and M. it doesn't have to be spoken. Yeah, right. It it's it's like, hey yo, right? Yeah.
0: Versus it's it's more Alabama like, it, has to do that. The conversation is flipped. Ohio it, State. Yeah. It's it's at these other places where we're talking about nil. The person with the money is saying, "Okay, what can we do with this pile of cash? What do you want from this pile of cash?" Because now. I'm in the Correct. game. I'm allowed to be in the game. Here's some money instead of yep. going to your money people and saying, hey, this is how it works now. Yeah, I, I wrote about this yep. um, and kind of the situation at Penn State and what you just referenced and a lot of you know the the thoughts and ideas came from this show. but like this concrete idea that there seems to be this division at Penn State right now when it comes to Nil. There are the people that are on the side of, okay, this is the new world, dive in head first. doesn't matter if you're diving into water or sludge. Plug your nose and start swimming. They're the the people that are on board Mm -hmm. with Franklin and his messaging. And then there is the other group that seems to be saying Penn State is going to compete and be success with honor. Not the name, image, and likeness program, but the mantra. We are going to be that. We are going to be successful without NIL because the force of Penn State and the force of the logo, I guess. And that is causing... A division within the program that that is really causing what I think is, is James Franklin's frustration is this schism of not having everybody on the same page. And at yep. places like Ohio State and Alabama, maybe they're getting on the same page. Maybe those messages by Nick Saban and Ryan Day are hitting. But at Penn State, as we've talked about before... It's not. It does not seem to be hitting, and I think that's really where the, the conversation surrounding all of these questions is. So let's get to the other side of what Tigar says and says, What's the first rule change institute, instituted by either conference or nationally to have some teeth and start making a level playing field? Which is ultimately what this is about. It's not about getting money for players, for the coaches. It's about leveling the playing field so that everyone's working with the same equipment. So what yeah. do you think?
1: I I don't know I I mean I, look like I would I would if I'm if I'm just throwing something out there I'm gonna say college football players as employees they hit employee status that 100 percent changes the game it it just upends the dynamic of amateurism and everything that's behind it and the NCAA can come back into some sort of um you know, institution that makes rules and enforces them. It, 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 that change would allow for that to happen to say, Hey, you're an employee. Uh, employees can make X amount of dollars per year. That's kind of the limit. That's, that's what everyone has to work with. Right. Maybe yeah. it's like a, all oh, of a salary cap. I I, I don't well, know. It would have I mean, to be- I think that that it would have to be A- but and they're going to get sued. Yeah. They're going to get sued and they're going to lose. Yeah. And so it's not about it's not about the NCAA anymore yep. at all. It's yep. about the United States of America. Right? Like it's about it's about Congress and the yes. Supreme Court and those things that are so far beyond my pay grade yeah. that I I can't even begin to because that I mean if you if you listen to people, if you listen to the right people, Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I say the right people, I'm just saying people who are paying attention and who are, who are knowledgeable about this. Yeah. Uh, Mark Emmert is a boogeyman. I get it. I get it. Nobody likes him. Fine. Whatever. I I don't know him one way or the other, but his leadership's been not great for the NCAA at, and that's being nice. Um, yeah. When he says, when he says that the only solution to this is Congress, it's yeah. not wrong. Is that wrong? It is like that's that's it. And so, what what are the odds in our political environment that there's going to be some type of unification to to get to 60 votes in the Senate uh, over an issue of of college football players being paid? Are, will they even take that issue up? Yeah. And the answer to me seems very unlikely. Yeah. But um. But yeah, yeah. that's and you're gonna have to you're gonna
0: have to deal I, I don't with see it. A
1: way out of this, otherwise.
0: Yeah, you're going to have to deal with a lot of things you're not comfortable with if you're a college football fan because when that happens, what we're talking about here is is a non—what's uh, what, the exemption for monopoly, for collusion and all of those things? That would be the standard of— Antitrust. And Thank you, antitrust. The NFL, Major League Baseball, Hockey, f- Sports has an antitrust exemption for their business model to work, so there has to be agreed yep. upon terms of how that works, and— the NCAA doesn't have that power because as you just pointed out, that is a part of the United States uh, culture and the way we do things in this country is what are the rules going to be decided that is that is above the Big The Big Ten could set whatever precedent they want and say that, okay, in our next media deal, X number of dollars is going to the players, X number of dollars is blah, 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 blah. And then eventually, somebody, as you pointed out, will sue. Also, it would have to be... I think at this point, it would have to be pure collusion for it, to be, for it to even work. And how are you going to get the SEC to agree to the same thing as the ACC and the Big 12? You're not because they're on different TV deals. So the Big 10 and the, a- the SEC have more money to work with. So they're, they're not going to cap whatever they do at what the Big 12 can do. So then you're truly going yep. into a full m- minor league pro <clears throat> sport model where you've got a salary cap, a labor union, uh, negotiations, and every five to six years, you're going to have that story. And, you know, that's that's what it's going to be. Doom and gloom. <laughs> so let's move on to another question. And this is why I say Rutgers and Maryland when I bring up what other schools in the Big Ten might uh, be able to... Uh, compete with nil can and this is from another question on the board can upmc pl- uh, pay pit players can hershey medical pay penn state players would this be an avenue to funnel money to players in order to make a- acquisitions on the open market and i think this what really is important to me here nate is not that they're hospitals or th- but places with large corporations city schools Mm -hmm. that previously were disadvantaged Miami would be another place with a city around them businesses around them have more NIL opportunities so is that something that you're thinking okay now Pitt has an avenue to success in the future where previously they were you know I I think you would you would be reasonably say without being offensive that their ceiling is what it was last year they can be good and be very competitive (laughs) every five or so years
1: uh, uh, okay, I think we need to to, to change this conversation somewhat. Okay? okay, and lay out what what NIL is because I think that this gets I think that this gets confused. Miami is not in a position that it's in because it's in a city. Miami is in the position that it is because a billionaire wants to run a at an athletic department. Right. One person uh, like Penn State can act or think of itself as being different from that. But Penn State hockey doesn't exist without Terry Pagula. It's the same thing, just in different packaging. Right. Is who is rich in your alumni base or people, even if they didn't go to the school that you root for that root for that school. And so all you need is one or two benefactors who can decide for them, right? Like, because here's the thing. (laughs) NIL is taking two forms right now, okay? Penn State and what you see happening at Penn State is the agreements that are made, okay? The the sponsorship deals, what have you, that are happening. It's two-way. Yeah. The player is receiving compensation for providing a service to the company. Right. And yeah. that's, that's happening all over the place. That is the spirit of NIL. That is what NIL is supposed to be. Yeah. There's a second avenue that some programs are taking, uh, or not even these programs. It doesn't matter whether the program wants it or not because it's all legal now. The players can do what they want. Yeah. Uh, the second model is hey, we don't care what you do. Right? Like you don't yeah. you don't have to actually do something for our business. The the secret sauce, nobody's talking about this. The secret sauce is having it setting these up as charitable don't like funds, mm-hmm. okay? So that they become tax write-offs. And so what Texas modeled was there's going to be charity work involved for its offensive line. Right? Like this was the report is there's going to be charity work involved. And so the donors get a tax write off, okay?
0: And the players. I, sh- I are should being have known. I should have known. <laughs> you, if, you're, if you're a rich person, there are so many avenues to keep your money. <laughs> I'm There's just so many ways for you to spend a million dollars and not spend a million dollars. That is the way,
1: though, for it to simply be. A transactional nature of hey, in my mind, I I, it doesn't matter what business I run. It like none of those things matter. And if the business is a charity, it's even better because you can really simply say, "Hey, yeah, you you you're in favor of cancer research." Yeah, right. Like you send a tweet out about that. Here's fifty thousand dollars. So this is ten thousand
0: dollars. This is, I guess, the reason I bring up cities is that. Under Armour has strong ties to Maryland. Uh, sure. Are there are there billionaire Rutgers alum that started something in New Jersey? At, like, the, the likelihood is higher that there is an alum in a city that went to the school that is now very rich and successful. Penn State has been exporting a lot of those uh, people, by the way, out to the East Coast, to New Jersey, to Philadelphia, to those suburbs. There is a, at least from my friend group and the people I went to school with, like, they were all from that area. So it's not like Penn uh-huh. State does not have these people in the region, but I think the idea is if you live in Columbus and, uh, you know, you're Dan-, Dan Gilbert is right there, as opposed to in yep. State College, you know, there are wealthy people here, but are they billionaires or are they the fish in this pond?
1: <clears throat> yeah. I-, I just I just think that... There's two ways that you can go about it. And so if if your way of doing it is very simply uh, building it from the ground up and having this entire broad business community being the one that has to support this, fine, that, that's okay. Um, but you're going to be behind the single superfan who is ready, willing, and able to submit a huge sum of money right who'd, into, who'd, into the slush fund. I mean, that, yep. because that's, that's, that's what these collectives are though too, is the, the collective can serve the same purpose as that one mega donor, right? By saying, okay, th- w- yeah, we're going to pair you up with uh, a company that you're sponsoring, but it yeah. doesn't really matter. Right. Think that's, that's beside the point, right. The Point is how can we distribute funds to players? And that's what that's what their aim is.
0: Uh, so let's move on to this question. This is Zach on the message board. And this is my this is my favorite question today. Do you think James Franklin will be the next Joe Paterno type coach for our program, meaning spending the rest of his tenure in coaching here in Happy Valley? Just curious, because after spending the past eight to nine seasons here, signing a 10 year contract extension, it looks like for the foreseeable future, he's here to stay. And I'm, I'm glad he didn't say all 10 years as we've talked about here on the show before, that 10 years is, functionally, as you've reported, it's not 10 years. It's a, it's an extension Correct. of a certain number of years. Uh, and then two, Correct. if he does spend the next 20 to 30 years as a coach, is he a Hall of Fame-level coach with a good all-time record, conference championships, national championships, turning Penn State in the program with the lore it once had? <laughs> I, okay, so, he st- like, reasonable question number one, and then yeah. full Joe Paterno number two. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: You go for James, it first. James Franklin. I mean, he's not he's not coaching into his 70s, let alone his 80s, right? Yeah. I think he just turned 50, yeah. I want to say, 51, some, somewhere in there. Uh, you know, I, I just – I don't think that these guys today – even have aspirations of that, yeah. right? Like, I, I mean, even, like even Nick Saban going as long as he's gone, I, I just don't see that as something that most of these guys feel is a sustainable, achievable model, right? Like, I mean, yeah, so so Saban and what he's built and the way that Alabama's running at this point, yeah, that's, that's good, okay? Yeah. It is built out, that program is built out to the point where I'm not saying not even remotely suggesting that he doesn't work or that he's not a part of it. He's right. a huge part of it, but you don't have to make the time commitment. Like, right. Like people yeah. want to have lives. They want to, they want to see their kids grow up, they yeah. wanna, right? Like your existence and the way the college football is today is so much more of a grind, so much more of a time suck than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. Right. And, and so, All of those factors, to me, says one: forget the ten years; that doesn't matter, right? Either he renews in four years, there's a new contract extension in four years, or he he will go somewhere else. There will be like I don't believe that this contract is his last college football contract, but it 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 could be Penn State could be his last stop. Sure, sure, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I mean, I just I don't see him and his aspirations as being like 20 to 30 years. I look at that. And I'm just like, I mean, there's just no chance. It's just not. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't see that as a remote possibility.
0: How many of those? So let's first off, let's examine how many of those there have been right of the number of coaches that have stayed their entire tenure in one place and coaches that have achieved the level of success that Joe Paterno did. And uh, I'd say the other thing is obviously the extreme length of tenure. What was Bobby Bowden at Florida State? How long was he there? A long time. Long uh, time. Uh, Kirk Ferentz at uh, Iowa right now is – how long is he there now? Longest –
1: I want to say 20-ish. Right, so he's halfway there.
0: (laughs) He's halfway there. So, no, I don't think Kirk Ferentz is reaching 40 years at Iowa. Maybe that has a chance. But no, I don't think anyone in college football is reaching that level of tenure at one organization for all the reasons you laid out. Now, if you want my personal opinion, which is not backed up by being friends with James Franklin and talking to him about this personally at all, this is just my observations of what is important to him and what he has said publicly about Penn State, his life, these things. I think he would want to be here for as long as his daughters are in school. Like, I do think that if he could stay here, he could get them into college. Then that provides a little bit of flexibility in your life. Like, as a parent, for somebody who's a parent, like, has has maintained <clears throat> yeah. how important his family is to him, the stability of letting his kids grow up in the same school with the same friends, if it's an option for him, is probably attractive. So... I mean, that's the next five, six years. And I'm not trying to place all of this on, on his daughters and, like, that's the timeline. But that's the first thing that jumps yeah. to mind is, like, what's the next life event that would change James Franklin's perspective on his life, where he is in his career, all of those things? And I, he seems fairly committed with a 10-year contract to be here and win at Penn State, make it work here. And when that changes yeah. is, you know, if the, if the university changes that, uh, by their dedication or lack thereof to winning on, on on what he sees as that trajectory and then personal yeah. things in his life. If anything were to change there, would that change his opinion of where he lives and where he coaches? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just,
1: I don't know that, I don't know that that element is, is as important now as just, just like, what are the environment? What is the condition for success? Period. Right. Like his, his aspirations are to lead a pro he wants to do it at Penn state. He would not be at Penn state if, if he didn't want to do it at Penn state. Right. Uh, I think he believes it can happen at Penn state. I, I, I think that they have invested, right. It's not just him. You're talking about a, a broad group of people who have put a ton of time, a ton of their professional aspirations into making this work, making this, lifting this program, because this again, this is just what we're talking about here. Yeah. Penn State can be eight and four forever. They can, right? Like we, we have this conversation and we're talking and and it I think in at times comes across as this like doomsday proposition, right? Where if Penn State doesn't catch up, that they're gonna get left behind and left behind I think without being spoken, sounds like three and nine, right? It's not, yeah, it is not the, the, the infrastructure is in place that you could bring in any number of coaches. You could do any number of different things to be, to win eight, nine, 10 games. That that that's fine. Right. The question is, does Penn state, can Penn state lift itself into 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Right right and so and so if that's if that's the question that is that is what is being pushed is hey uh don't don't limit yourselves as a program don't limit yourselves as, as as a community uh as to what the possibilities could be and so yeah. i think as long as there is a buy-in not just within the lash building right at the Bryce Jordan center within the athletic Uh, the athletic department as a whole, within the institution of Penn State, and then importantly, very importantly, within the broader Penn State community, state college proper, the surrounding areas, the state of Pennsylvania, and nationally, its alumni base. Is there a buy-in and enthusiasm for that aspiration with James Franklin as the leader? If so, then this marriage will continue. It, it will continue to be a thing. Uh, it will play itself out in one way or another because here's the reality on the on the backside of this is if that buy-in is there, okay, and Penn State doesn't perform and win, he, he won't stay. He won't be invited to stay, <laughs> right? Like he'll, he'll get fired at some point if this huge, massive influx investment is made into the program. Everybody's on board and they don't reach that that level of success, hook it fired and they'll try to find somebody who can. Right. But for the athletic director and the university president who are making these decisions, if that buy in, if that structure, if that support is not there, then how, how can you judge him against Ohio State or these other programs that do have that level of buy in? Right. Like if, 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 if you're competing against all of your peers, and all of your peers, in terms of, hey, put a put a blind taste test on this. Say, player or, or school XYZ, right? They look like this, 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 okay? If, if they all look similar and your record reflects what their record is, fine. <laughs> if you put them up against each other and one is wildly out of whack with the rest, either pro or con, and you don't meet what those peers are, you're not performing to the same level of those peers. It's going to change the conversation. It's going to change what that dynamic is. So I I don't know. It, it it just, that is what James Franklin is looking for from Penn state. It is not a mystery. He's been talking about this for eight years, Yeah, eight years. This has been the message. It might not be as direct as what I just said, but that's, that's what it is. That's what it is.
0: So John H She asks T Frank this question, but this is definitely a Nate question, is there seemed to be a real chatter earlier in the spring about the Big Ten ending its east west divisions, but here we are in the summer. Talks have seemed to end. Any idea from uh the crack journalists at the BWI about a Big Ten realignment to end divisions. So, crack journalist, what's the deal? What's going on? I don't know what on that here? means. Means you're Are you excellent. At- by that, yes, yes, he's coming to you for the answers. Oh, you're wow. an excellent journalist. Uh, I'm the conduit <laughs> to his question. So, what's the holdup, and why have we not heard that story continue, that narrative continue this summer?
1: Uh, you know, so I don't think they've had meetings since the beginning of May. I th- like, I kind of think that was the last time there was that type of chatter anyway. And so chatter typically surrounds those events. Uh, right. the next big thing I would think is big 10 football media days and kickoff, which is in late July, July, 25, six, seven, something like that. So would I
0: anticipate that being part of the conversation then? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. The, like Somebody has to ask somebody a question or somebody has to tell somebody something for there to be chatter.
1: Right. You got to be, you got to be made available, right? Like, so I don't know the last time that Gene Smith at Ohio state, cause he seems to be the right. Like the Dean of athletic directors with the most sway in the big 10. But when he's asked about that, when he's made available and somebody asks him a question to that end, I would anticipate that he will have, uh, something to say. It, it mm-hmm. won't be no comment. Um, so no, I mean, I, I just, I don't think it was ever, and I could be wrong about this, but I don't think it was ever a notion of, could this be implemented for 2022, but for 2023? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I would, I would add to this, um, I, I don't want to d- delay too long here, but I don't think Penn State has a future schedule in 2023. I don't think there's a big 10 schedule out okay. for 2023 anymore. Uh, which like
0: that's a that's a red flag because, says,
1: yeah right so um yeah they like it i'm not so, going to say that it will happen but i think it's going to happen yeah. i think there will be no divisions in 2023 the the signs are that it's, something that it's going that to happen decided.
0: yep so let me ask you this question we, we we talk about penn state as the entity inside the big 10 are they willing to compete at the highest level is the big 10 content I mean, this seems to be a sign that the Big Ten is not content with just being, and I'm not trying to be inflammatory, the second-best conference in football, <laughs> or the, the second-best conference yeah. in basketball. Or it, it seems as if there is a push forward to meet, match, and exceed what other conferences are doing, and finally getting to a more equitable schedule, as opposed to what the SEC does. Although, I don't think the nine-game thing is being rolled back, as, as you've talked about, because makes too much money, too much inventory for your Big Ten network.
1: Yep. 100%. I I just (laughs) – somebody said it better than I have on our message board that while the Big Ten has assured itself of half of its teams losing in the next to last week of the regular season, the SEC has virtually assured itself of all of its teams winning – in the next to last week of the season. As guess what? Rankings, all of those things, positioning, that all matters at that time of year. It does not matter what your ranking is on September 1st. Irrelevant. Yep. Right? I mean, there are there are some strange cases where because you were unranked to start the season, you can never quite climb high enough, right? Like that is that is far and away this rare circumstance. And
0: and usually it's because you were a non power five team. Like you, you were a team that 100%. is close to undefeated Correct. or undef well, it had definitely has to be undefeated and has a two or three quality wins, but you're never gonna be ranked highly yep. because you're not a non power five. If you're a power five team that goes undefeated through your schedule, then you're gonna be you're gonna be one of the top five teams. And nobody but but here's the thing nobody's
1: getting docked. Nobody's getting losing points or losing ranking space because yeah. they win 70 to seven in the next to last week of the season against Chattanooga, right? Like that doesn't it yep. doesn't matter yep. to those programs. And so the Big Ten structurally like it people aren't mad enough about this. Like it doesn't bother yeah. enough people. That there is this massive imbalance in terms of how conferences operate that there is no unification to say, Hey, if you want to compete in the end of the year tournament, right? Like NCAA basketball, you're all playing by the same rules. Like you're all saying, Hey, you got to have 31 regular season games. No, you can't have more than that. You can't have less than that. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's, there's a standardization to it. And so the fact that the Big Ten doesn't or isn't involved in that uh, in in trying to make itself just as competitive as the SEC puts it at a disadvantage. And maybe that is a trade worth making because you can support all of the other sports that make up your athletic departments. Yeah. Because it's a different model. The SEC has schools that are, that are supporting 16 programs, right? Yeah. Uh, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State are all supporting... 25 26 27 plus
0: programs. Yeah. And so that that's the difference. Uh, so finally a question I can answer. Uh Kim asks what size what skills size and physical <clears throat> attributes such as speed possibly attitude about tackling make uh, a player a better fit at corner than safety and vice Versa. Well, I I think you kind of answered your question there uh, about what are the skills that make a player one or the other. But really, to me, the interesting thing is that there is this constant blurring of the line right now and and safeties, especially in college football. If you're not a strong safety, that boundary safety that plays over top of the box, you're basically a corner. You have to cover so much space. You have to be able to be flexible enough in coverage to play uh, slot corner at from time to time. You need to have corner-like skills, which is why Penn State recruits corners and moves them to safety. I think that's a very smart move of what they're doing is it, it also lowers your miss rate on a player. So if you get a guy who's only a boundary corner, he has no other skills, he has to work out of the position, and he doesn't work out, that's a clean miss. But if you bring in a guy like Keaton Ellis that is physical, Fast, I think had a good corner speed, but didn't quite have all the abilities to play at the highest level of that position. Other players came in, had more skill at that position, maybe more natural attributes, more of all of the special ingredients to make them a boundary corner. You can flip that guy inside, and he's a very valuable safety because he's got corner skills, safety skills. He's got a mix of all of those things. The difference to me, there's two positions that are different. You have your pure outside corners that don't have maybe the agility to play on the interior at a slot corner position, a pure corner slot position, and then the safety slot hybrid. So they are your jo- Joey Porter Juniors. They're the guy I, I thought to originally uh, Zaki Wheatley would be that guy as well, of a guy who only plays on the outside, um, and then even the great ones can play on the inside. And then really, it's the it's that that box safety. Um, still has to play in man coverage, still has to cover players, but we're now we're talking tight ends, big slot receivers. You can get into matchups where you're not facing the fastest, most athletic guy on the football field with that player. So really, it's this blend of uh, positionless football in the secondary is where you're going to be finding your most efficient defenses and the ones that play the best as a unit. But typically, a little bit beggar, a little bit better of a tackler, can play in and around the box that is probably the number one thing that a uh, a safety has and then for a corner um ball skills just ball skills and and the other thing and these are all you need all of these things i just unplugged my headphones you need all of these things at all times to be good like really good at football but Driving on the football, making plays on the football in single coverage, that's where you're going to see the most of value at the boundary corner. So those hyper-athletic players that can do that, and then varying degrees of that elsewhere in the secondary. Good stuff. I have nothing to add. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. Stay in your lane, Nate. <laughs> L- Losi's Mustache asks, So the staff is always recruiting to avoid having holes on the roster. Years ago, receiver was a major concern. Currently, it's the offensive line. The last two to three classes have addressed wide receiver, and it seems 22 and 23 have addressed the O line very well so far. So, in your humble opinions, which are not that humble, what will be the next position on the roster in crisis? He's throwing his hat in the Mm. ring for a defensive end edge rusher uh, with the way the cycle and depth of the position is playing out. Nate, do you have any thoughts on this Mm -hmm. particular conversation? Yes.
1: Um, I think he's right. Uh, I I don't want to misquote. uh, I'm paraphrasing here. But as part of the interview that I did do with uh, Manny Diaz, you, you know, part of it was the relationship between having strong edge rushers and having strong corners and how that marriage, how important it is to football. And he gave a great quote that I'm going to mess up, but it was something to the effect of the person in football with the ball in his hands is the most important player on the field Mm -hmm. on offense. That's the quarterback overwhelmingly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so the players on the defensive side of the ball that have the best opportunity to impact or diminish that person with the ball in their hands, it's at defensive end and at cornerback. Yep. So your your strong play at those positions and excellence at those positions is now coming full circle where you see it prioritized in the NFL draft. There's a reason why these guys at corner and defensive end are going first.
0: Yeah. And receiver, by the way, in the draft, because you can manufacture 12 touches a game for a receiver. So the value of a running back used to be he'd get 25 carries a game. You need to have a great running back. But as football has gotten more uh, wide open. You have you have guys that are getting 20 targets a game. So that's kind of the same thing. You need a guy who's going to catch most of those and is going to get open for most of those and is going to make something happen on at least half of them outside the structure of the play. Yep. So that is why quarterback yep. and receiver, especially in the NFL, you go contracts, the, the receiver contracts are ballooning for these guys that are elite number one receivers because they can have a significant impact on your quarterback who is the most important player in football. So yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, I would say, and this is where this is where it's tough because I think Penn State addressed the defensive end situation. I think they nailed it with getting denied Dennis Sutton and with um, Damian Robinson. But does that help this year yep. specifically? So you could say this is a problem <sighs> this year, but that the die's been cast there already because you've got a redshirt, Red. a sophomore, uh, and a true freshman along with Adisa Isaac. So you're banking on Adisa Isaac being the lead dog and then those two guys filling in the rest of the need. Can they do that? Um, beyond this year, because of literally the rest of the show, I don't think you can predict year to year where your strengths are going to be. I don't think you can predict. like Because this is something that we we talked about um, a little bit on one of the BWI dailies previews of the, this week is uh, with Ryan. He was talking about the, the running back position in recruiting. Does Penn say take two this year? Well, they're deep and loaded at running back this year, but if Nick Singleton, a true freshman, comes out and explodes on the scene, does the transfer portal affect that situation? Do guys behind him transfer? Does he transfer if he gets an NIL deal at USC or something like that? Like, these are the realities that we don't know. So, right now, defensive end would be the situation. And then I'd say just going for value, corner. Because, uh, you know, corner... Calen King's not going to be here forever. Like, the clock is already ticking on him. Joey Porter Jr. is gone after this season. Johnny Dixon is a redshirt junior, I want to say. And then you got Marquise Wilson. So mm-hmm. you've got some talent there. you got depth this year. But everything, like in the NFL, is year-to-year now. I'd say it's even more year-to-year because you don't have contracts. You can't guarantee these guys yep. are at any one position for any length of time.
1: Yeah. I mean, literally no disagreement. I mean, I, I just I, I think that yeah, you gotta I mean you've gotta re recruit your own roster every year. You gotta make sure that everyone that you want and prioritize is staying in the program, uh, understands the vision that you have for them and is bought into that. It's gonna be paramount.
0: As always, this always happens, is like we spend a lot of time on stuff at the beginning and then we have four questions we cram at the end, which is entirely on me as the quarterback of this show that we're doing the two-minute drill and we're down by four. Okay, Train027 (laughs) asks, if you could change one thing about collegiate sports, whether it's rules of play, eligibility, transfers, financial compensation, television contract, administration, anything, what would it be, Nate? Oh man! Um, All right, I'll go first while you think because I've had you know, some time like, to think. Well, about it's like
1: this. A, it's like a hindsight. No, it's like a hindsight thing though. I wish yeah. they would have changed originally twenty years ago. That's yeah. what I wish. That's what I would change. Is I would have changed the NCAA stance twenty years ago that uh, Curtis Enos couldn't get a suit for an award ceremony yeah. uh, without losing eligibility. Like I w- I wish that wasn't the rule twenty years ago.
0: Yeah, so this wouldn't be happening. Yeah, because that's the thing is like I the this the reason there is this disparity in college football between uh and and broad strokes the haves and have nots and I know that that's gonna rub people the wrong way but where the money is and where the money is now going is because of the love of the game the level of interest though as much as we love football and as many eyeballs as watch it I want that. We exist because of that. This show happens. This podcast, if you watch it on YouTube, all that happens because you love football and you have access to watch it all the time. Tuesday night at midnight, uh, Wednesday afternoon during bowl season. Whenever you can think that there's a football game other than the spring, we hate football in the spring, you can watch football. And that level of interest has drawn a lot of money. And I don't think that we should just because we don't want some people to have the money for some reason still then nobody should have money because that's the only other to me that's the only other way to do this is if you can't pay the players then the salaries the the opulence everything else Correct. has to go all the other stuff has Correct. to go right you can donate to charity Correct. you can whatever but it doesn't like you can't have this yep. disparity that has currently existed for the last 20 years as you've mentioned um, so to me nope. the thing I want to roll back and I'm not even I don't even buy this truthfully is the RPO because I think it makes for a lot of offense, which is really fun, but it does feel very unfair to the defense. You're telling me that they can go two yards downfield. It's a run until it suddenly isn't. And I cannot like, you cannot play traditional football. And there is even in me, Thomas Frank J. Carr, the football analyst who loves advanced metrics and stats and things like that. I also miss the I formation every once in a while, every once in a while, a test of masculinity in the trenches. That's all gone because of these advances in football. The spread offense is what it's going to be, what's going to be right. So that is not taking advantage of any rule. The RPO is taking advantage of a rule in football that does feel pretty unfair to the defense. But that is, if there's anything that is, that is true about modern football, it's that it's unfair to the defense, everything.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I I have one. Yeah. Uh, uh, heads headsets in in helmets. Let's, yes, that's a great it, one. Right. Like, staring at the sideline is stupid. Slows the game down. Let's, yes. To let's speed up that process.
0: Yeah, I would be fine. So the fifteen second rule, I think, is great in the NFL, where you can communicate up until the snap, basically. So that yeah, I I I think the cards on the side are fun, but I'm not. A, I agree with you. I'm not a fan of it. The difference is I think that you're never going to have uh, – I guess no huddle is an option in sports, uh, in, in the sport already, but you're not going to mitigate staring at the sidelines and, and waiting till the last second to call your play. That's going to be a part of football yep. because it's about the advantage of, as I think James Franklin or Mike Yurcich has said in the past, having the chalk last. Like It's, it's as much a, uh, a duel between the coordinators pre-snap as it is anything else. Uh, let's see. Rad dad jeans is back. He says, okay, here's my question. T Frank predict Penn state's record for the 2022 season with the following scenarios, a great offensive line, a good offensive line, an average (laughs) offensive line and a below average offensive line. Mm. Okay. So I'm going to start this one. If Penn state has a below average offensive line, you're going to have the exact same season you had last season because that's, that's what it is. I'd say probably you eight and four. I'm a little more bullish on this team because I think the skill positions are better. It is, as we've talked about. We've talked about this. The skill positions are better. They're in year two of the offense, and the offensive line has the potential to be better. So three of the four things are better, and if you just get average out of that, which I'm predicting, it's just going to be average to slightly above average. Nine wins, eight wins, that is reasonable with the team, even if the defense struggles a little bit out of the gate. I think it's even then as long as they survive the test at Purdue, there are no other offensive juggernauts that I can see on the schedule in the first month of the season. So uh, a below average offensive line is just what you got last year. And then an above average offensive line or an excellent offensive line, and we're back to 2019. We're talking about a team that can go into the final months of the season with maybe one loss, maybe two losses, and they're pushing for a New Year Six Bowl or, if they're really lucky an outside bid at being uh, a one loss college football playoff team that ultimately doesn't get there because that never happens unless you're Georgia or at Alabama or yeah. the sec. So that, there you go. You anything I, else?
1: Yeah. I'm, uh, no, I'm, yeah, I'm right. I'm right with you. I I, 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 I don't see the offensive line as being, uh, the sole indicator of success or failure. Right. Yeah. Like because I didn't, I didn't see it that way necessarily last year. But because the bar was set so low with its inconsistencies, you're right. I mean, it's just if if they continue to be inconsistent or as inconsistent as they were last year, and Sean Clifford doesn't perform, or that limitation impacts what he's able to do, and the right like you just you have to start with that foundation. Yeah. Right. Like if, if the offensive line can can get you to the next level, then it opens the door to possibility for to see how good your quarterback or your receivers or your running back can be. And in some yeah. cases, depending on the running back, maybe it doesn't even matter. Right. Right? And that's a huge part of this. That's a huge part of this. For three
0: years of the eight years of James Franklin's tenure, he had an elite running back. Four. You know, add in Miles Sanders there as well. And you would also add in Journey Brown. And they made up five of the eight years. He had an elite level skill, physical ability running back that made up for a below average offensive line early on to an average offensive line uh, towards the end. So last question is, and then we'll just get out of this one quickly. Do you think that Franklin and Diaz... How will Franklin and Manny Diaz react if the linebackers underperform early? In David's opinion, Franklin has a habit of sticking with older guys a few series or plays too long versus letting younger kids make some mistakes and get reps. Um, I don't know that I agree necessarily. I mean, it, it's it is not such an easy, clear conversation. Um, the only time I would kind of they don't have a choice this year. I would agree that is, that, right. yeah. Like your Mike linebacker is either a redshirt
1: sophomore who hasn't really played all that much, or a redshirt freshman who hasn't really played all that much. So yep. they're sticking with the young guy no matter what. Like and they're no, playing. By the way, no they're both
0: B. playing. They're both gonna play. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. And then you've got your star linebacker of the group in Curtis Jacobs. And then, you know, whether or not you count Jonathan Sutherland as a linebacker or not, that's really the only place you're going to have this conversation of, is he better than whoever else is behind him? And right now it's Dominic DeLuca. Um, Is it K.J. Winston, a true freshman? Is it Tyrese Mills, a uh, transfer from Lackawanna Community College? Those are two guys that I have an eye on, somebody that might end up at that position. So three weeks, maybe? Like you get the first two weeks of the season, you've got Auburn there. I I I don't see this dire need to freak out. (laughs) I guess is like you have to like pull the ripcord on any of these guys immediately at the linebacker position. By the way, I only count two of them as linebackers anymore. Like you got two linebackers and they've got four guys, if you include Jamari Budden, that I think are capable of playing. Now Budden is is pretty raw. He's having to do that transition to the will earlier than most guys so of the three that they've got all three are gonna play so there you go anything else concur no that's it I love it Well, that'll do it today for the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Reinkar. Thanks for watching. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for being a part of our uh, podcast family. If you are listening on the podcast, make sure you subscribe so you uh, get that auto-download and you don't miss anything from Blue White Illustrated. We're looking at recruiting tomorrow with Ryan Snyder to wrap up the week. Stay tuned. We'll talk to you then.